Welcome to Manager Tools, the effective hiring manager book. We're doing something different today. We're going to talk about the effective hiring manager book, which is a new book that Mark has written. And uh, I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions because nah, I'm curious. I'm curious. Like, what, what's going on? With the, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> I just woke up one day and said, hey, dude, I wrote this book. I said, oh, okay. So let's get to it. Why? The Effective Hiring Manager as our second book, right? The first book was The Effective Manager, but why hiring as the second book? So first of all, I got, I got to uh, say to those who are longtime listeners and wonder when we record things, um, it turns out we're recording this on the day that 1,500 of these books just arrived at my house. Um, the book will be uh, is for sale now on our website. If you want to buy a signed copy, uh, I think it's $35 because we've got posted and shipping all in there. Uh, and if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, I, it's whatever normal prices are for Kindle books and for uh, hardback books. And um, there is no audio book yet. They, uh, the, some of you complained, but in a nice way, that you would rather the first book have been um, narrated by me. And so... Um, we agreed to that. It's a really bad deal for us, but we agreed to it. And so sometime in November, late October, early November, um, in about a month and a half, I'm supposed to go into the studio for two or three days and record the book. I don't know how long it takes to produce the audio book after that, but I'm sure they'll let me know. And uh, we will, of course, let... Uh, the people in our community know what the schedule is for an audiobook if you prefer that. I admit that on the first book, we basically said, you don't need an audiobook of this book. Just listen to the podcasts on the same topics. But that didn't <laughs> satisfy a lot of people. That was the wrong answer to a lot of our fans. Uh, so in my hallway, actually, there are 83 boxes of books with a total of 1,500 books in them. And I have to sign them all for people who have requested signed copies. So I'm very excited. My right hand is not excited, but the rest of me is okay. So you asked why the effective hiring manager is our second book. Okay. Um, the overarching reason is hiring is the most important strategic responsibility we managers have on a regular basis. Okay. Organizations that turn out to be great have notably better hiring processes talent screens, and higher bars for people to get over. Um, and in the long run, people are the ultimate capital. Uh, labor is way more important than financial capital. You know, horseman's first law, it's all about people. Uh, the, the mechanism by which any organization assesses new people into it is the single biggest mechanism for the long-term health of an organization. It's the most important long-term effect we managers have on our own organizations. And here's what's important. It has strategic impact if you do it well. It's the only thing that individual managers do that has a strategic impact on the organization directly. Hiring better, more quickly, sustainably, uh, and also bringing new hires up to speed faster, that's a mistake that most people make. They don't realize that onboarding is included in hiring. 
bringing, bringing new hires up to speed faster than other firms is the biggest leverage managers provide our organizations over the long term. You might get beat out in the short term with a better product or better service or better price, but in the long run, if you hire better people, you're going to outperform everybody else. Okay, so it's the most important strategic thing we do. So you might say, well, okay, well, then why wasn't that the first? That is, you it, read my mind. The first book. Exactly what yeah. I was going to ask. Well, it's because it's a strategic behavior, but it's not a behavior most managers would call something that they use frequently. Um, it's not. It, you know, I say in the book that it's like Horseman's Christmas rule, right? It's something important that you do rarely and typically – Things you do rarely that are important, you tend not to learn enough on, and you never get very, very good at them. You never master them in a way that's impressive, and it's important strategically. So that's a bad connection. It's a bad relationship for us as managers. The first book, The Effective Manager, was about how to manage the team you have, and of course, whether you hired them or not. We did that first because that's what most managers ask questions about day to day. It's what we managers spend the most of our time doing. How do I get the most of my team? How do I lead them? How do I talk about performance? Which, of course, for us, starts with the manager tools trinity, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. How many times in my life have I said that? The manager tools trinity, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. I should get Vince Scully in here to do it. Of course, I guess the other important issue is you can – you can be an effective hiring manager as much as you want, but if you can't manage those folks day to day and you can't retain them, because we talk about all the time, the two primary responsibilities of manager is results, right? And getting better people is that, that helps you get results, but it requires some management. And secondly, you can hire all the great people in the world, but if you can't retain them, that's not good. So, yeah. So we did effective manager first because that's the tactical sweet spot for managers. An effective hiring manager is second because it's the strategic sweet spot. Simple. All right. I, I'd agree. I think most of our audience would agree effective hiring is critical, right? So yeah. where in your experience do managers need help with effective hiring? <laughs> so this is going to sound terrible, but we love our audience. And so I'm just going to be blunt and save us a bunch of time. In my experience, managers need help everywhere. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful of the average manager's skills in hiring. Again, it's Horseman's Christmas rule. We get zero training on it. What passes for training? If you're a manager and you've listened to some of our podcasts on hiring and you've been shocked that you've never been told this before, or you get the book and you read it and you go, gosh, this makes so much sense and it's all doable. Why haven't I been told this? And you feel bad somehow. We want you to lay that burden down by the side of the road because you, my friend, are not alone. The average manager gets jack from their organizations about training on hiring. What passes for training these days for the average manager is first an inference, in, essentially inferential training. How did I get interviewed? Which, by the way, if you got interviewed as an individual contributor, and you're now a manager, you were probably a high-performing individual contributor, which probably became clear in your interview, which then means you were interviewed with an eye because the manager was thinking all along about hiring you. Your process for getting to be a manager started with the wrong approach to interviewing. 
And if that's what you learned, if you learned the commonest thing, which is, by the way, the way I learned, I'm not saying you're you're the bad guy. I, I did the same thing. Your process for learning was how you sat on the other side of the table. And it was a chat. And the manager got to know you. And she or he was learning more about you. Um, and that's a horrible training process. The other side is... That, that the other thing that passes for training these days, when I ask people, hey, have you been to training? And they raise their hand, yeah. I say, okay, tell me about the training. And basically what it boils down to is I'll label it as human resources don't discriminate training. And they say, you know, you can't use, you, you can't use this. You can't, you can't discriminate on the basis of that. Um, you know, we hear stories lately about Silicon Valley being male and having essentially implied biases in their hiring and so on. But typically, don't discriminate training is necessary. Look, it's legally helpful to reduce the company's risk. But frankly, I bet you at least 30% of the people listening to this podcast right now have been taught or believe in some fashion or the other that there are such things as illegal questions. If you think that, that's an indication of how little you know about hiring. On a scale of one to 10, if you think that, you're probably a two. Even if you think yourself as a good manager, because in fact, other than in a couple of municipalities, and I'm talking about in the United States as a, as a representative sample, um, I think it's a little different in Australia and, and Great Britain, but not that much different. Uh, I think the only one I'm 100% clear on is in Philadelphia, and it has to do with you can't ask about pay. But if you've been told that you can't ask certain questions about a person's age or you, it's illegal to ask about gender or what have you, you're wrong. They're not illegal. It's not, guys. And we have a podcast about this. I think it's called There Are No Illegal Questions. The question itself is not illegal. We also have a podcast, How to Respond to a Question That You Believe is Illegal in an Interview. So if you want to play both sides of the fence, there you go. Um, but in fact, the question is not illegal. It implies that that question will be used to determine hiring, and that would lead to potential claims of bias. But the question itself is not illegal. Now, do we recommend you ask it? No, it's stupid. It's unethical. It's boorish. Don't do it. But if somebody's telling you, somebody you respect about a hiring process, says, these questions are illegal, it's just false. It's wrong. And it, and it just, to me, it gives you a sense of what a manager can expect relative to hiring. And we go back again to this issue of it happens rarely. Now, right now, in the greatest job market in the history of mankind, everybody's telling you, hey, we need to hire, really need to hire. And it's going to be harder to fill your openings because there are so many jobs that people have so many choices. But for the most part, the average manager just like I did, just like Mike did years and years and years ago, doesn't know what he or she is doing. They need help across the entire spectrum. And I would also suggest that one of the reasons I know that managers need help is they probably think the thing, same thing I do, that hiring is about sourcing and interviewing. And they're right. It's those two things, plus about five others. And just the fact that you focus on sourcing and interviewing that's all you think about. Where am I going to get people and how am I going to interview them? Um, and then I added that one other thing. If your interview is not written down, you're not going to be in the top quartile of people uh, selecting talent. 
top quartile. So you can't be in the top 25% of managers in terms of their scanning for interviewing talent, hiring talent, people qualified to do the job who will deliver you results and retention. If you're not, if you don't have a written down interview in advance, you can't be in the top quartile. That's barely a passing grade. Yeah. And I find the fascinating thing about it is it's not hard getting in the top 25%, right? The, the steps you need to take are very clear and repeatable. No, it's not. That's the thing. You're right. It's not complex. In fact, I can't think of a single thing in management that's complex. There are some things that people like my technical people do that's fairly complex, but management is not complex. Why? Because it's about people. Now, it's a pain. It's difficult in terms of it takes discipline. It's hard. It's frustrating. You know, it's the old saying, I think it was Irving Azoff, whom I've met a few times uh, near my house. Uh, I think it was him that said, uh, um, you know, this this agent, he's a music agent. Um, this agent business would be a heck of a lot easier if it weren't for the talent. <laughs> well, <laughs> managing would be a heck of a lot easier without the people. I mean, it's just, you know, gosh, that's, I, I, I just want some time to do my own work. Just that I heard the manager say the other day, Mark, if you could just teach me some things. Uh, uh, and by the way, I heard it at one of the greatest companies in the history of mankind. And I, you know, he says, I just need more time to do my own work. And I said, it's funny that you don't think that managing your team is your own work. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> you know, you're not doing somebody else's work. That's your job too. Um, so there's no question that we have underinvested in training about how to be effective in hiring people. Uh, you're not at fault for that. There's an easy way around it. You can listen to some of our podcasts. We don't have all of them out there yet. It'll take years to get all of them out there on hiring. It's a particularly favorite subject of mine. You can come to an effective hiring manager conference. The next one, I think, is in November in Washington, D.C., 12 November near Dulles Airport. Or you can read the book. And if you buy an ebook version of it, you can carry it around with you and read it at home or in a, in a rental car bus or on a plane and get smart fast. So you said earlier, I asked you what, what do they need help with? <laughs> you said very kindly, uh, yeah, everything. They just need yeah. help with everything. So it sounds terrible, but I don't. Yeah. So the, the book is obviously not the size of a Bible, right? So no. um, what are the things that are covered in the book that you uh, go through? Okay, so I had thought about this, about how do I talk about it? And really, I realized the be best way to do this is just sort of run through the table of contents at a very high level. The first section of the book is about some principles you need to get in your head before you start worrying about tactics. It's the strategic imperatives that allow the tactics to work when you go through the steps. And one of my favorites, um, probably my second favorite part of the book, which I, the several people who've seen the transcript sort of laughed and goes, I wasn't expecting that. The first principle of effective hiring is don't hire. <laughs> um, and basically, in that part of the first chapter of the book, we talk about the fact that when you have an opening, your job is not to fill it. Your job is to figure out what work needs to be done and whether or not we can get the important work, the right work, the most valuable work done without the person who has left. Believe it or not, executives don't want you to fill a position until you've gone through the process of identifying what the position's value was relative to the work that's being done. And we walk through some ways to, to analyze that. Um, 
The second principle is if you do decide to hire, you better set the bar high. Um, good people hang out with good other good people. Weak performers hang out with other weak performers. And if you start looking for warm bodies, I just really need somebody. You come up against one of our favorite aphorisms about hiring. The only thing worse than an open position is filling it with the wrong person. I've never had a single manager ever say, I didn't regret hiring a warm body. I had to have somebody, I hired somebody. And of course, everybody says, oh gosh, it took me six, it took me two weeks to hire him and six months to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then perhaps the most important, like cogent or crisp point in the first section on principles is the first principle of effective interviewing. Now, we the first principle of effective hiring is don't hire. The second principle is to set a high bar. And the first principle of the interviewing process is to say no. The purpose of an interview is to find reasons to say no to candidates. Almost no managers know this. Almost no managers behave this way. When managers start to like things about people, they start looking for things to like. And folks, as a general rule, thanks to your reticular activating system and uh, paradigms and confirmation bias, once you start liking somebody, you're going to find more things to like. It seems like you're suggesting that the objective of hiring process is the absolute worst possible outcome, which is not hire anybody. Isn't isn't that the worst thing that could happen during an interview? No. I thought you just said the only thing worse than than an open position is filling it with the wrong thing. No, the worst thing is not that you don't fill the position. The worst thing is that you hire the wrong person. That's the worst thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, we have a two-by-two matrix that we're somewhat famous for. People have asked for it repeatedly. It's called the Hell on Earth matrix, where we lay out the possible outcomes of hiring and, and decision-making. And, and, and that's what interviewing is, is, is data gathering leading to decision-making. Yeah. And there's many managers who are listening right now who absolutely know what you're talking about. They've, yeah. they've been there. They've hired the wrong person, and they spend the next six months in, we call, hell, right? Yeah, it's just not worth it. Okay, so those are the principles that start the book. Then... Before we interview, we've got to prepare. So we walk through the whole idea of behavioral interviewing. Also, even before that, preparing the hiring criteria. If you're going to set a high bar because you want to improve your talent, and by the way, folks, it won't decrease your chances of hiring. It won't. We find over and over again that managers say, no, it was no harder to find a good person than it was to hire a bad person. Um, But if you're going to set a high bar, you have to have a bar. And that means identifying what you're looking for in the job. And we walk through the three or four sources of information, the questions to ask yourself, and then how to draw up the key kind of behavioral details that you're going to expect the person to do in the job. And then based on that, we walk you through how to write up, how to create behavioral interviewing questions. And they have a pattern. There's three parts to every behavioral interviewing question. And anyone who reads the book will understand what they need to do and will be able to create behavioral interviewing questions that will literally, if they write them down before an interview and you do it a couple of times, you'll be in the top 25% of all interviewers in the world. We'll also give you some behavioral interview question examples. And also, I, I always forget to mention this, we have for our licensees, for the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are licensees as opposed to hundreds of thousands who just listen to the podcast for free. Uh, if you're a licensee 
you have access to a tool called the interview creation tool. And it's an online tool that asks you a series of questions about any job you can possibly hire for. And when you're done answering the questions, it will give you a printed out form with each one of the questions we recommend you ask in order of the importance in the interview, plus plenty of room for you to ask your own custom questions as well. And so we've essentially simplified that for all of our licensees. Uh, and I think there have been tens of thousands of uses of the interview creation tool over the course of the last couple of years to create interviews so that you don't have to go through the manual process of looking at all the raw material associated with the job and then manually work up your questions. We've already done an analytical screen based on behavioral skills and profiles to figure out what questions you should be asking. Okay, so now we're prepared, but then we have to do some screening. The first thing you have to do is screen resumes. Most managers don't know there's a right way to screen resumes. There are certain things to look for. There's checklists to follow. And we walk you through that checklist in detail. We also recommend screening social media. There are certain ways to look at people's social media. Uh, we are absolutely in favor of the Wall Street Journal's motto, free people, free markets. And free people means free speech. But there's a difference between free speech and professional comportment relative to hiring someone who may be a risk for you. Conducting phone screens is next. After you've screened resumes, if you started out with 100 resumes, now you're down to 10 possible resumes that you think might be good. And so you conduct a phone screen and there's a right way to do that. And there's a right time to do it. Uh, and there's a right way to prepare for it. And we walk you through all that. We also talk about having human resources help you with that if you wanted to. Then we get in uh, section four, we get into conducting interviews themselves. We talk about video interviews, how to do those, telephone interviews in detail. Um, we talk about the effective final interview process. We talk about the physical interview setup, how to set up the room that you're going to conduct an interview in. We absolutely excoriate the idea of panel interviews. We talk about how to conduct technical interviews. So if you're hiring somebody who needs to prove their technical skills, only one person in the course of an interviewing day actually conducts a technical interview so that everybody doesn't waste half their time validating technical skills, which one person should be spending all their time on. And then we teach some really important lessons that every interviewer who interviews each candidate uses the same set of questions. We talk about the structure of the interview, how to take notes in the interview, how to ask the questions, and then also perhaps something that's not taught very much anymore in the world, how to probe behavioral interview answers. Because most people talk don't talk in terms of behaviors, and you're going to have to tease behaviors out of them as they describe their successes and their background. Even after all that, um, and that's, I think, 150 pages worth of stuff, then we get into follow-up, which includes the interview results capture meeting, which is my favorite part of the book, how to check references, how to make an offer, exactly the words to say, how to decline someone from getting an offer, exactly the words to say. What do you do if you have two candidates that are good enough that you might hire either one of them? And then what do you do to onboard those people so that you don't waste your time offering somebody who says yes and then not have them come to work for you or quit within 90 days, which is enormously expensive and stupid. It's a lot. Yeah. I talked a long time. I, I, don't, I don't realize. Maybe that's why I was happy when this book was done. Wendy and I, who write the, she writes the career tools cast and I added them and I write manager tools. And I always tell people that writing is like hitting your head on the, hitting yourself on the head with a hammer. 
you're happy when you're done. Yeah, exactly. You put a lot of effort into this book. Um, and it shows in the results, I must, I must say. So uh, I don't think our audience would expect anything less. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time on the book. Um, anything that stick out, any excerpts or examples of the book that have special resonance for you that I, you'd like to share? Yeah, I mentioned the interview results capture meeting. Um, it's my favorite part of the book. I probably should pick a different part that we haven't done a podcast on, but I'm figuring our audience continues to expand. And so there's a bunch of you who know that we have 1,200 podcasts and you haven't gotten to all of them yet. So I'll just mention, if you want more details on what we're about to talk about, uh, listen to our interview results capture meeting podcast. This is chapter 20 of the book. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to lay it out for you. One of the biggest problems in interviewing is a lack of clarity for the average manager about what he or she is doing in the interview. Okay. Uh, the interview is designed to produce a decision, a recommendation, yes or no, hire or don't hire this person. When we ask groups of managers, what do you think the purpose of an interview is? Less than 5% say the purpose of an interview is to make a decision whether to hire the person or not. And if you don't want to think about a recommendation, think of it this way. If I were the hiring manager, yes or no, would I hire this person? based on the normal parameters of the job and so on. Are they good enough that I'm going to hire them or not? It's as simple as that, okay? However, most people don't think that they owe a decision out of an interview. And because they don't, they think that it's just to get to know the person. Two bad things happen. There's no sense of urgency or advanced preparation before the interview to really tighten up the process so that I can feel good about the data I use to make my decision. And as well, if I haven't made a decision, when I'm asked for information about the candidate post-interview, I tend to talk about what I like or what I didn't like. And I make vague comments like, yeah, she was pretty good, or he's the best technical guy. I didn't really like this, that, or the other thing. And in fact, many people say that they are hedging their bets. Because if they loved the person, but six people didn't, you don't want to say, oh, we got to hire this guy. Because the other six people are going to say, oh, he's horrible. And you're going to lose. So believe it or not, one of the things you can do as a manager when you and your directs are interviewing somebody to become their peer, one of the things you can do to improve your direct's abilities in the interview is to institute something called an interview results capture meeting. And basically what happens is at the end of the day, there is an interview, resu interview results capture meeting. It could be the day after a candidate's interview day. You can keep them as short as 30 minutes, but often you need an hour. So schedule an hour. And if you finish early, so much the better. Okay. So the agenda for all these, and by the way, this is, I think, on page 148 of the book, uh, you start and you take five minutes at the start of the meeting to remind everybody of your agenda. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who are thinking, I don't have time to do a meeting, if you don't have time for a 30-minute meeting about the most important strategic imperative you have for your company, then you got no business being a manager. So don't expect me to feel bad for, oh, I don't have time. Now, if you can't make the meeting and you want to send an email, no problem, Okay. So after you remind everybody of what the agenda is, every person gets five minutes to report on their interview. There is no open discussion before, during, or after this, unless it's leading toward a decision. 
If you have five people interviewing and the first person starts at five past the hour, you will finish at the bottom of the hour. And then if you want to discuss whether or not to hire them, if you schedule for an hour, you could take up to 30 minutes to discuss it. Okay. But every interviewer attends the meeting and they report on their interview and they use something called the what and why method of reporting. When each interviewer reports, whether in person or by email, he or she covers two points. And if I sound different right now, I'm reading from the manuscript. He or she covers two points. What? Whether to hire or not hire. And why? Behavioral support of the recommendation. First and foremost, they recommend hire or no hire. So when you're in this meeting, uh, if Mike is my manager and Wendy and I report to Mike and there's some other people there, Wendy goes first. Wendy starts at, you know, two or three or four after the top of the hour and says, I recommend we hire John Smith. And here's why. And then she goes through what I'm about to tell you. And then it's my turn. And I say, I recommend we hire John Smith. And here's why. Okay. Um, you don't say anything fancy, fancy, just hire or not hire. After that, the guidance is people have to focus their comments on behavioral proof in Three or four areas, depending upon the job. Interpersonal, how well did the candidate interact with you? What did they say? How did they say it? What did they do? Cultural, behavioral proof from the interview that would make this person fit in within your firm. What did she say and do? Skills, what did you see in the answers to the four or five or 10 behavioral questions, including how their answers are communicated? And why do you say that? Technical skills, if in fact there is a technical component to it. How did the person perform in the technical assessment? Every single person reports. Now, I could go into more detail, but this cast is, we're already at 30 minutes, so I'm going to cut it off there by saying this. Knowing that you have to come into a meeting at the end of the day and you will not be there to kibitz or BS or discuss or rally around the flag or any other thing, but you are there to produce, to communicate the decision that you have already made in your mind will cause you to become a better interviewer before that meeting because you know you have to have a decision by the end of the meeting. You don't have an interview in order to learn about somebody so that then you can consider it for the next several hours before you determine a yes or no. In fact, while you're considering it, your memory of what actually happened is decaying. The purpose of the interview is to drive a decision, to create a decision in your mind, either yes or no, I'm going to hire him or her, or yes or no, I'm going to recommend my boss hire him or her. Interview results capture meetings have this incredible effect on the interviewing process. People feel like I'm suddenly a lot better because I know in 45 minutes I have to make a decision. I'm not jerking anybody around here. I'm getting right to it. We're not going to have 30 minutes of chit chat and then realize, oh my gosh, I've run out of time. Let me look at your resume and see what I think about it. You've got a great resume. I think you'll fit in real <laughs> good here. That's just insane. It just waste, you're just throwing money away, right? So knowing that you have 45 minutes or an hour, actually, we don't recommend 45 minute interviews. We recommend an hour, an hour and a half. If you have an hour and you have to make a decision, you realize really quickly, I better have good questions and I better be pretty focused and I better be able to support my decision. And the interview results capture meeting does that. It's probably my favorite part of the entire effective hiring manager process that we've created. So that's why I highlight it. There's a lot there. It's uh, uh, dude. As you, yeah. as you, 
and we've talked about a lot of it on the cast, but not all of it. And as I'm listening to it, I'm going like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I, hey, I hey, need we to read. Do that. I need to read the book again. <laughs> so excellent. Let me ask you one last question before we go. I know we're running running out of time here. Why should the average manager buy it? I think it's a good question. I think they should buy it because they'll think they have to hire somebody in the next year. The market is good, so I'll be shocked if they don't have to hire somebody in the next year. Um, they should buy it because they don't want to be one of those managers who looks like. She knows what she's doing, but inside secretly knows that she doesn't, which a lot of us feel that way about a lot of management, and that's why manager tools exist. Well, I'd add one more thing in there, which is there might be many managers who say, well, I don't need to hire anybody right now, so why spend the, t- why spend the money buying it and why spend the time reading it if I don't have to hire anybody? Of course, the problem with that thinking is when you need to hire, you need yeah. to hire, right? Of and- Christmas rule, <laughs> you're not ready. Do you really do you really want to be learning something that at the very time you need it? Yeah, um, no, maybe not, maybe not. Better be prepared. Other reasons, uh, because unlike virtually every other management development book, this book will tell them exactly what to do in every phase of the process. And if you don't get a good answer, send email to mahorseman at manager toolscom and I'll help you. They should buy it because it's because one of the key differentiators between managers and executives, if they have such an inclination, is their ability to evaluate and hire talent. Another reason to buy it is because they were surprised to hear that there are no such thing as illegal questions. And the other reason to buy it is because you're a professional and professionals are engaged in lifelong learning. And if you really need extra help, Buy the book, and as I mentioned, come to the Effective Hiring Manager Conference. Our next one is 12 November near Dulles Airport, Washington, D.C. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you. Folks, I hope you uh, found that useful. Um, don't do books very often. When we do, no, we they're don't. pretty good. <laughs> go, yeah. go grab a copy. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week. Have a great one. So long. 